Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Um, You guys, I want to tell you something before I begin. When I die, and I am going to be cremated, I still want lipstick and earrings. I just want you to consider that because I may be one of the older members of LBCF and you guys, your job is to take care of me, which actually leads me into my teaching because this is a time when we're defining like normative Christian words that nobody knows what the heck they mean, but we use them all the time as if we do. Oh yeah. And we've already identified what a Christian means and we've talked about ambassador. And today we're actually going to define a phrase, the priesthood of all believers. See? Lipstick and earrings. I'm telling you, you guys, you're the ones who are going to have to take care of me. Um, So I know that we're also live streaming, and maybe you're watching LBCF for the very first time, and you're going, what? Who is that? My name is Barbara Sanofsky. I'm one of a three-pastor team here. It's a beautiful, difficult, messy, fabulous thing. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to talk about that a little bit also. Um, I am, uh, we all have like kind of little arenas of church that we are mostly um, responsible for. And I lead family ministries as well as soul care. Um, I have, you know, a lot of love for pastoral care and pastoral counseling. And that's me. So... I'm going to begin with scripture. First of all, the priesthood of all believers, it's all over the Bible. It doesn't use those specific words, but it begins in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read first from Exodus. Then we're going to go to the New Testament, 1 Peter, like our scripture reading. I'm going to read that again. And then we're going to go to Revelation, because it also appears in Revelation. In fact, it appears in Revelation twice. And you're going to read the second part of that uh, when we do our benediction. So let's begin with Exodus. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Moses climbed the mountain to meet with God, and the Eternal spoke to him from the mountain. This is what I want you to say to the house of Jacob, to all the people of Israel. You are eyewitnesses of all that I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I snatched you from the bonds of slavery and carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will hear my voice, obey what I say and keep my covenant, then you, out of all the nations in the world, will be my treasured people. After all, the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests, a nation holy and set apart. Tell the Israelites exactly what I have told you. That's our job, is to let one another know that we are priests. 1 Peter 2 says this, and this is a little bit of a rereading of the the passage that Jason read a bit ago. Come to him, the living stone, who was rejected by people, but accepted by God as chosen and precious. Like living stones, let yourselves be assembled into a spiritual house, a holy order of priests who offer up spiritual sacrifices that will be acceptable to God through Jesus the anointed. 
But you are a chosen people, set aside to be a royal order of priests, a holy nation, God's own, so that you may proclaim the wondrous acts of the one who called you out of the inky darkness, I love that, into shimmering light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received it. And then in Revelation chapter 5, it says this, because you were slain with your blood, you redeemed for God people from every tribe and language. Do you notice the progression? First it was to Israel, but now it's about Jesus. The progression is now to every tribe, to every nation, to every language. People from every race and nation, you have made them a kingdom. That's what Jesus has done. You have appointed them priests to serve our God, and they will rule upon the earth. So, having read to you three places, in Jesus' church, who's called to be a priest? Special holy people who've been Christians for a really long time? What do you think? No, no, not those guys. Christians who've gone away to study and they have a degree now. No, it's not those guys either. A few people chosen by a church and hired for the job. It may seem like the answer to that is yes. (laughs) But the answer is still no. How about all believers, all followers of Jesus Christ? Yes. Amen. This is about each and every one of us. I am not talking about Ryan, part of our pastoral staff, or Pastor Danny, or myself, or any pastor you've ever met or ever will meet. I'm talking about and to each and every one of you. Martin Luther actually gets the credit for coining the phrase priesthood of believers. He said this, faith alone is the true priestly office. Faith. That's what qualifies us. Luther's idea of the priesthood of all believers versus the priesthood of only a select few rests in the priestly office of Christ. And in our blessing, those of us who believe, to share in all that Christ is through union with him. And for Luther, this was mainly a reaction against Catholicism, where the Pope was being seen as the high priest, where you could only really get to God through the priests of the different parishes. This was a part of Luther's 95 theses that he uh, nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in 1517. And That was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. From the very beginning, think of the word, Protestant, protesters. From the very beginning, Protestants protested. They protested against what they saw in the church and its hierarchy that was not biblical, that was not loving in the ways that God is love and revealed in Scripture as love. We are still and always meant to be protesters and protesting 
from glory to glory. A little bit of a history of priests. So in ancient Israel, the priests, they acted as mediators between God and the people. And they ministered according to God's instruction. They offered sacrifices to God. On behalf of the people, once a year, they entered this place called the Holy of Holies. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. That could be like a two-week teaching. But um, there they offered a sacrifice for the sins to atone for the sins of all of the people, including all of the other priests. No one else could get that close to God. Today, though, most of us recognize Christ as the only mediator between ourselves and God. It says so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus the supreme high priest who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 7. And we believe that through Christ, we have been given direct access to God. Think about that. Each one of you, and myself, we have direct access to God. He is equally accessible to each of us. Not even our sin gets in the way of that access. Every Christian, able and even called to not only have access to God, but to minister for him. But for the last oh so many years, the church has typically employed professional clergy who perform many of the same functions as the priests did in the Old Testament, clarifying doctrine, communion, serving communion, um, doing marriages, baptisms, etc., etc. But let's take that just a little step further because Richard Rohr says this, I'm not saying we don't need some form of leadership in the church, but not this huge distinction between clergy and laity. And laity is just another one of those Christian words for everybody who's not clergy. Listen to the word that clergy comes from, clerus. It means the separated ones. The separated ones. I don't want to be separated from you guys. <laughs> and I don't want you to be separated from me or feel that you are. But what's really fascinating about this, this distinction, is when you think about power, we're talking power over versus power with. The clerical approach or separateness requires power over. Hierarchies of power and domination, pastors wanting to control, wanting to create order and certainty, sometimes not for bad reasons, but sometimes the impact is not what I think is really biblical here. There's another paradigm, and that's the power with paradigm, and that's where God, the God who loves us, is at work everywhere, in everything and everyone. Here we can begin, begin the hard and messy work 
because it is hard and messy work to let go of hierarchy. It's hard and good work to let go of hierarchy, to let go of certainty and to move together with. Actually, when we are with, we are so much more powerful. This strikes me also as way more consistent with the Trinity and the idea of a people flowing together in trust and love, the people of God creating, working towards the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And the clergy and power over model created church attenders. This is a listen-up time because we're church attenders Those of you who are listening on Facebook or YouTube, you're church attenders also, even though you're attending in your living room. But we, we the attenders, began to think that pastors, clergy, were meant to tell us how to be Christians. They were the ones who were meant to tell us how to interpret scripture. We created, the clergy created an audience, spectators, who wanted to be entertained, And it created apathy. As churchgoers grew content to just kind of sit back and let the clergy run the show, we're separate from them anyway. And it alienated us, the churchgoers, to our own call to priesthood, to ministry. Power and identity, I think, I think we get them really confused and entangled many, many, many way long time ago. I used to be a banker, and I managed a branch for savings banks for many years, actually. And I had this really great business card that was my identity, and it said, Barbara Sanofsky, vice president. And you know that made me feel like I was worth something. And it made me feel like I was better than people who weren't vice presidents. And even though I don't know if I would have, <laughs> I don't know if I would have consciously like said that to people. Like I didn't go around saying I'm a vice president and you're not. But there was a sense that I had achieved something. I was valuable. And I remember uh, making the decision when one of our six children was three to uh, stop working and to stay at home. And I remember that having to give up my business card, like, who am I? I remember weeping to John, like, who am I if I'm not a vice president? I don't have any, I don't have any gifts. I don't know who I am. And, he, you know, he was going like, there, there, get me out of here. He was, you know. <laughs> but think about it. Pastor, minister, reverend how easy it is to fall into the trap of thinking that the title has anything to do with identity, with who we really are. Does that make me more loved by God, by you, by my husband and children? You know, I could wish that it did, but it doesn't. But it can certainly puff us clergy types up Especially in church and religious places, there has been a professionalization of ministry leaders, pastors, teachers, and elders versus 
the naturally gifted people who are also in church. I already talked about why someone would want to become a pastor. There's a little bit of the Pharisee in that. And I'm not saying that being a pastor is bad here. Don't, don't hear that, because that is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that being a pastor is the same as not being a pastor. Yep, I don't need to talk about that because I already did. So, <laughs> the vibrancy of Christ wants to be present in our leadership and in this community. And really, I would say in most churches, there haven't been enough natural elders and pastors allowed to rise up and take their priestly place. I'm not talking even about charisma here. I'm talking about the obvious and natural giftings that live in each and every one of us. And I see that in this church community. When I'm drawn to those who have that Christ-like energy. Mary Dorset, who heads our children's ministry. Oh my gosh, when she teaches scripture, I'm drawn into scripture. In this crazy way, it's so beautiful. The faithful service of Valida and Richard Farr. The way that worship lives in and then comes out through Jason Malignat. Lila de Fiesta's voice that transports us into heaven. <laughs> the kingdom on earth, oh yeah, just listen to her sing. Mary Trine's hospitality and generosity. Matt Cullen's amazing, amazing, encouraging words. The way Marcy Douglas sees every woman in the room. I could go on, I could go on. Gabby DeGus and her heart of prayer. I could, I could, because I know so many of you so well, I want to like point right now, but then Ryan will be really mad at me and he'll say I'm talking too long. You're all natural priests called to a royal priesthood. Richard Rohr wrote another article a long, long time ago that's really obscure. It's called Archetypal Priesthood is Not Always Ordained Priesthood. In it, he defines archetypal priesthood, and he says this, the priestly wise man or wise woman archetype is the one who takes rabbits out of hats. I love that. Because we're magic, you guys, because we serve a supernatural God. He says, the, the priest, male or female, says, this looks like bread, but it's really Jesus. They're always transforming things. It may look like this, but it could certainly be that. And that is what's at the core of each and every one of you. You all have the gift to transform things, different things for sure. This looks like suffering, but maybe it's redemption. This looks like sin, but it's going to bring you to God closer than you've ever been before. And there's a lot of ordained priests and ministers and pastors who may or may not be moving in their gifts. They're moving in their positions. But we need priests who are transformative through the way they talk, the way they communicate, 
you know, they don't need priest craft, priest stuff. We don't need vestments. We don't need collars. We don't need to make signs of the cross. We don't need ordination papers. We don't need seminary degrees because we're called by God in Scripture to be priests. And again, none of this, nothing that I have said so far speaks against a church having leadership because that's a gift. Or pastors and elders. But it does create a flattening of roles. It does create a level field of believers at the foot of the cross. Heirs with Christ, a royal priesthood, called to labor together, this community, for the sake of love. The priesthood of all believers might actually have been the most neglected thing that came out of the Reformation. Because it's one thing to say that we are a chosen race, a holy nation, and ambassadors for Christ. It's another thing altogether to allow Jesus to so shape our identities by this truth that we act accordingly. What if we, this weird little church, LBCF, recovered the notion of the priesthood of all believers? What if we took it on? What if we wore it? I think we would pray more boldly still. I think we would be more sacrificial. I think we would realize our unique privilege and giftings in Christ. I think if we recovered our identities as priests, as full-time followers of Jesus, that regardless of where we work, live, or play, we would be willing to prophetically confront the problems both in the church and in the world, in the city. We could become agents of justice and masters of reconciliation, ambassadors, mediators. In other words, we could become priests in our society in our city. Then we can see that our work in the world is a series of priestly acts. And Luther's hope that priest becomes as common a self-designation as Christian could be realized. Amen. So LBCF, this church began in 1983, people. It began uh, because our founding pastor, Doug Richardson, walked around the duck pond at El Dorado Park and prayed to God and basically told God how he wasn't happy where he was ministering. And he really felt like he was asked to start his own church, and he did. And for the first 10, 11 years that we were a church, we were itinerant. That means that we had no home, per se, and we met in different uh, junior highs in the town. We met at Signal Hill Military Academy. We met at Marshall Middle School. When my husband and I first started attending, it was 1994, and we were meeting at Hoover Middle School. So we were a pack-and-go church. It was a wonderful, crazy, wild, amazing place with such a heart for the city of Long Beach. We were smitten. <laughs> And we knew right away that this was a place where we were going to stay. But our pastor was a king. Everything was his way. 
We needed to believe his way. We needed to interpret scripture his way. At the same time that he was gifted to teach scripture, if you disagreed, he would say in a Sunday service, well, the door's right there. You can leave. And I learned a lot under his leading, but it was also very constricting under his leading. There was no room to think differently or to speak out against anything that you wanted a different to be different. And then uh, he burned because it's hard to be the only leader. It's hard to hold an entire community all by yourself. And he burned out and he left this community not in a good space, actually. It was pretty much in disarray when he left. And at the time, our college pastor, Brandon Cook, took over as the lead pastor. And um, at the time, I was leading children's ministries and women's ministries. And Brandon said, Barb, you are a, you're a pastor in our community. We want to ordain you. And that's what happened back in 2006. And we began church again. And somewhere toward Brandon's own, I don't even think I'm called to pastor. This is too difficult. Um, he said to one of our other pastors, JC and I, I really wish that the three of us could just lead as a team. And we attempted to do that. And then he left us, uh, it's been over a year ago now, and the elders made a decision that we would do something wild and crazy, that we would actually be a pastoral team. And so today we have three pastors, none of us the lead pastor, working together. And there are benefits to team leadership and a team of pastors. Not the least of which, hear this, that that's what's actually modeled in Scripture. Can you actually think of Paul without Silas or without Barnabas, without Ananias and Sapphira? There was always teams that went out. Um, in fact, any time that the word pastors or elders is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always in the plural. It's never just one. But at the same time that we feel it is the way, it's also not the easy way. It's messy. We argue with each other, huh, Ryan? <laughs> I especially argue with Ryan. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a beautiful thing because we get to input into one another's thinking. We get to change one another. And... Um, yeah. Between Brandon leaving and this team emerging, I kind of was it. And I kind of got to be the Pope for just a little while, for a short moment. And you know, there's something kind of nice about being Pope. First of all, the hat. I, I didn't wear it at church, but I have one at home. No. That is such a lie. That is so not true at all. Um, but all the decisions I made, I had to make. And they were just a lot easier to make. But they were not better. Even though it was easier to do it by myself, it's so much better to do it with Ryan and Danny. So, so much better. And I believe with all my heart that this community will reap, will reap the fruit of that. 
And uh, I remember when Ryan said, you know, we're only, we're only called to feed the sheep in our own pasture. And last week when he said, not everybody, but anybody. I mean, yeah, you guys, we're the same. Just priests of a different order. You're a priest too. <sighs> so, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, which comes from the lyrics of an old song, by the way. We are not only equally loved and on equal footing, but each of us is uniquely gifted by God to be a priest like no other. Like no other. You are called to be a priest uniquely like yourself. What are your gifts? Are you using them for the kingdom, for the good of the city, for your family, for your faith? Are you willing to take on the role of priest? a role to which scripture and Jesus has already called you to become a priest. There's paper on your, on your chair, and if you're sitting on it, it's under your butt. And if you're missing a piece, any empty chair around you has got a piece of paper on it. And I want you to write on it. If you need a pen, Sam's got some she could pass out if you want to raise your hand. But I want you to title this piece of paper my priestly gifts are. And then I'm going to give you some possibilities. I'm going, to, I'm going to read a list of spiritual gifts. And if one of those gifts, if your heart says, yeah, that's me, write that gift down. I'm going to start with giving. Do you have the gift of giving? How about the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, prophecy, service, teaching, lifting heavy objects, the gift of beauty, of creating crafts, administration, I'm going to now speak the most important gift. Don't all write this one down. Coffee making. Faith. Discernment. Helps. Healing. Art. Entertainment. Knowledge. Wisdom. Playing with kids. Evangelism. Fixing things, hospitality, add your own. Have I missed your gift? Write it down. What is it? I want you to take this piece of paper and pray about it. Pray about it and ask God through his Holy Spirit where he's already prepared you to be the priest. Because guess what, people? God doesn't just leave you alone and not qualify you. You already have these gifts. No one ever asks us to do what we aren't already equipped to do. And then the invitation is that we would practice the gifts with one another through serving one another as a royal priesthood. Because this is a safe place to try out your unique priestly 
anointing. And Jesus, may we minister together. This LBCF, Lord, may we minister together to our families, to our church, our city, to a world that needs our love, our hope, our faith, and our shalom. Amen.